Well, good morning, everybody. So how many of you would say you know somebody like that? All right, we're actually going to talk about them a little bit today and maybe see how we might be a little bit like them as well. So if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're in the middle of a series called Words to Live By. And what we're doing in this series is we are exploring the power of simple words and how those simple words can help us learn to live a little bit more like Jesus if we'll learn to leverage those words effectively. So in this series, we've looked at words like no, we've looked at the word yes, we've looked at the word help. Last week, we looked at the word thanks. And today, we're going to look at one of the most countercultural words that we face today. And even though many of us want to say it more, we struggle with how to say it, we struggle with when to say it, we struggle with the implications of when we say it. And we're going to look at the word enough today. We're going to look at it in the context of saying, I have enough. I have enough money. I have enough power. I have enough popularity. I have enough whatever it is that that you think that you need to have more of. We're going to look at it in the context today of saying, I have enough. Now, one of the reasons this word is so countercultural is because many of us don't believe that it's true. Many of us don't believe that we have enough. And that keeps us on that treadmill of constantly looking for more, constantly constantly trying to strive for more stuff, more power, more money, more prestige, more positions, more whatever, again, that we think that we measure our lives by, and it keeps us on this like crazy cycle that leads to some really bad consequences. So if we stay on that treadmill too much, it can lead to stress, can lead to burnout, can lead to health issues, relationship issues, addiction. It can even lead to death. And you might think, well, that seems a little extreme. But if you will, for just a moment, consider a goldfish. How many of you have ever fed a goldfish too much? Anybody ever fed a goldfish too much? All right, so what happened when you fed that goldfish too much? It died. Yeah, it died. Now, when you sprinkled all of that food in abundance, you would think that that your goldfish would look up into the skies and say, my master has opened the windows of heaven for me and has showered such blessing on my life, I now have more than enough. And if I just eat a little bit every day and I just ration this out, I'll have enough for a week or a month or who knows, maybe even more. But no, your goldfish and my goldfish did not do that. Our goldfish said, this is great. I'm going to eat it all now. And they died because there was always something more to eat. Now, I know like we are way smarter than goldfish, right? Right? We think so. Maybe. We're not so sure. There's a research specialist from Cornell University by the name of Brian Wansink, and he did some studies to compare us to goldfish. Not really to compare us to goldfish, but he did some food studies to see if people know when to say enough. And what he did with his experiment was he went into several restaurants that allowed him to come in, restaurants that serve soup, and he created what he called a bottomless bowl of soup. 
Now, if you're thinking, well, that sounds like something at Panera or, or you know, something I would eat at Chili's, um, they probably stole the idea from him. So he designed a bowl that could be refilled while people were eating it. And they didn't know it was being refilled. And so they would eat and eat and eat and eat, and it would go down and down and down, and he would just slowly refill it just to see when do they know when it's time to say enough. So what he found in this experiment was that people who ate out of his bottomless bowl of soup ate 70% more soup than the people who were eating out of another bowl. 70% more. Now, why didn't they say enough? Like, I am full. Like, I need to stop. Because there was more. There was always more in their soup bowl that kept them saying like, hey, I can eat more. Apparently, I haven't had enough because there's still more to have. And I know that that's silly. And I know that's a goldfish. And I know that's just a weird food study. But that applies to so many things in our lives, not just food. It applies to power. It applies to popularity. It applies to money to success, to whatever it is that we kind of measure our lives by, there's always more out there. There's always more that we can achieve. And one of the things that makes it really hard for us to pause in life and leverage this word enough effectively is our tendency to compare ourselves with other people around us. So one of the great things that's happened with the advancements of technology is that we now can keep up with everybody around the world all at the same time. Isn't that fantastic? One of the bad things about the advancements in technology is that we can now keep up with what what everybody's doing all around the world all at the same time. And as we look at them, as we look at Facebook, as we look at social media, whatever social media platform you, you use, we have this tendency of comparing ourselves with everybody else and everything they have and what we don't have. And we start feeling worse about ourselves and thinking, like, I got to get a better job. Like, I got to get a promotion. I've got to take better vacations. I got to get a better house. I got to drive a nicer car. I mean, look at what they have. Look at what they just got. Look where they just went. And when we have that mentality, we stay on this treadmill of never enough because there's always more to get out there. Anybody been to Disney or um, Universal Studios or anything like that recently? Okay, a number of you have. Um, So this past year, my wife and I took our kids and uh, we, th- we thought, you know, our kids have, have never been to Disney, so let's, let's take them to Disney. And, you know, everybody else is going to Disney, so let's go to Disney too. I mean, it looks like they're having fun, so let's go have some fun. So we get down there, and we spent way more money than we should in the parking lot. You know, like, <laughs> it's how much to park? Like, are, are you sure? Like, it's just going to sit here. So anyway, we paid, went and paid at, the, at the gate. We went and had lunch. Paid a little bit more for lunch than you know I was expecting. I took out a small loan and uh, had some crappy lunch, and and then we stood in this really long line, like an hour and a half for a ride that was going to be five minutes, and it was in the afternoon and it was hot and we're sweating, and and we're like we're all dying, we're all moaning and groaning, like what are we doing here? And I'm thinking, have we lost our minds? Like this is just crazy. And then I snapped out of it and said, no, no. We have spent good money to be here. 
We are going to get every ounce of fun out of this place that we can. So kids, wipe that frown off your face and that sweat off your head. And I'm going to take a picture. We're going to put it on social media and show everybody else what great fun we're having here today. So smile. So when we get caught up in comparing ourselves with other people, we often do some crazy things to try to feel like we have enough. And there always seems to be just a little bit more out there. But here's a question. How much is enough? How much is enough? How much is enough money, power, control? Whatever, again, it is that you measure your life by, how much is enough? Often what we say to ourselves is, if I just had a little bit more, then I would have enough. If I just got that little you know, promotion or that little raise or that little whatever, if I just had a little bit more, then I would have enough. And when we get that little bit more, what do we say? If I just got a little bit more, it would be enough. I would have enough. And so we, again, stay on that treadmill where enough seems to be just outside of our reach. It's close. Some of us can see it like, oh, I can just see enough when I retire. Oh, have enough. And we get there and we're like, oh man, I don't exactly have what I was thinking I would have. So when we do that, we stay again on that treadmill where it's just out of our reach. Listen to what Jesus says about this in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus, Jesus addresses this issue of enough and actually does some amazing teaching about it. Verse 13, uh, Jesus has a crowd of people around him, which is very common for Jesus. A lot of people want to hear what he had to say, and they were going to ask him some questions. So in verse 13, there's somebody in the crowd, and they ask this question. He says, uh, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So he basically says, Jesus, I don't have enough. My brother has more than I do. So tell my brother to cut it in half so like, we can have a, a, a fair share for each of us. And Jesus says, friend, like, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he says, and it's a declaration, he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. Now, Jesus' original audience would have disagreed with him. They would have said, Jesus, like, look around. Like, you got to be out of your mind. Our lives are measured by what we own, what we have, how much land we have, how many animals we have, how many servants we have. If you don't have that stuff, you don't have enough. You're not enough. You're a nobody. And I think today, some of us still argue with Jesus over that one. And we say, you know, life is measured by the job I have, how much money I have in my bank account. How many followers I have on social media? How many letters are behind my name? And Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. So if Jesus is right here, if what he's saying is true, we have to answer some deeper questions. We have to answer questions like, who is doing the measuring and what are they measuring? Because for us, when we pull out our measuring tape, or our measuring stick in our lives, when we measure whatever it is that we think we define ourselves by, when we measure, we always seem to fall short. There's always somebody who has a little bit more and a little bit more. And there's always more to have. And so we keep measuring and trying to measure up and find out like we just, we just can't get there. We can't get to that enough spot because there's more. 
And so if God is doing the measuring, we have to ask, what measuring stick is he using? What measuring tape is he using? Because I think he uses something different, and he measures something different. So Jesus continues in verse 16, and he tells us what we measure compared to what he measures. He tells a story. Verse 16, the story goes like this. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And to that, most of us would say, well, that sounds like a good idea. Like if you've got an abundance of stuff, put it in storage somewhere. You know, find a storage unit. You can fill that thing up. When that's full, put it in another storage unit. Verse 19, uh, this guy says, then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Verse 21, Jesus summarizes what we measure and what he measures. And he says this. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. In verse 22, he turned to his disciples and said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. And I think with that statement right there, I think Jesus touches on one of the core struggles that we have with the word enough. I think some of us, could be many of us, struggle to say the word enough because we don't feel like we are enough. We have a hard time saying, enough, I'm not chasing that stuff anymore because we don't feel like we're enough. Like we're not good enough parents maybe, not good enough spouses, maybe not good enough employees, maybe not good enough leaders, maybe not good enough students or athletes or whatever. Whatever it is that we kind of measure, we look around around us, there's always somebody that's a little bit better than us and we kind of secretly feel like, you know, I'm just not enough. Uh, I know somebody who many of us would define as a very successful person. By everything we measure, uh, this person is successful. Did very well in high school, did very well in college, uh, has led their own business, and it's become a very profitable business, which has led to very nice homes in very nice communities, very nice cars, very nice vacations. In a moment of vulnerability, this person told me what drives them. This person said, listen, like every day I wake up and I'm driven by this little voice in my head that I hear every day. It's my dad's voice. And every day I hear my dad saying, you're not enough. You're never going to amount to anything. Like you're, you're not going to be anybody. You're just not enough. And so every day this person wakes up and they are driven to excel in life because they are trying to prove their dad wrong. And you might be in that spot today. 
may not be your dad, maybe some other person, may just be your own voice in, in your head that tells you there's more, there's always more. And so enough is just always a little bit out of your reach. And so Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, again, he says, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food in your body, more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. So you are far more valuable to God than anything. And I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I don't know if you've ever realized that. But you are far more valuable to God than anything. That's why Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come to earth, to die a horrible death so that you could have the opportunity to to have eternal life so that you could live forever. And you don't have to spend any more time trying to prove your worth to yourself, to somebody else, or to God because Jesus proved that over 2,000 years ago with his death, burial, and resurrection. Your life is not measured by the stuff that you own. Your life is measured by your relationship with God. Again, Jesus said, a person's a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So this morning, let me ask kind of a probing question. How's your relationship with God doing? How are you doing in that relationship? For some of you this morning, you might say, you know what, I'm not doing real well because I don't really have a relationship with him. I'm not sure that I believe in him. Others might say, you know what, my relationship with God's not doing so great. I'm mad at him, something he hasn't done in my life. Or I've kind of distanced myself from him, just kind of life's gotten busy. Others of you might say, you know what, I have a strong relationship with God, a close relationship with God where I talk with them every day. And if you're in that spot, that's what God wants for all of us. That regular relationship where we have a a conversation, an interaction with him that grows on a daily, if not moment by moment basis. And that's what God wants for us. And we get to that. We get to that kind of relationship with God by starting a relationship with him. So listen to how the Apostle Paul recommends we do that. In Romans 3, 23, Paul says, people are made right with God, not by keeping up with a bunch of religious rules and regulations, not by memorizing a bunch of Bible verses, not by showing up at church in the right church attire, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for, what's that next word? Everyone. Everyone. Who does this apply to? Everyone. This applies to everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I love the, the declaration that that makes for us. No matter who we are, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter what you've achieved or haven't achieved. It doesn't matter how long you've come to church. It doesn't matter if this is the first day you've come to church in your life. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know or don't know. None of that matters. What matters is that you believe that Jesus died so you can live. Verse 23 tells us why this is so important. Verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. How many people? 
Yeah, that, that includes all of us. Everyone, except Jesus, has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So when we pull out our measuring tape, trying to earn a relationship with God, thinking I'm, I'm gonna get there by being good, you know, good behavior, good attendance, you know, good memory verses, whatever, whatever it is that we try to use our measurement to, to get in a right relationship with God, it always falls short, always. It's never enough. And then verse 24 says, yet God. So yet God, when we couldn't do it, when we couldn't measure up, yet God, God stepped in and with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. How could he declare us righteous? Through Jesus. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So when our measuring tape wouldn't reach far enough, Jesus said, I got this. And he stepped in and filled the gap so that we could be called righteous, those who put our faith and trust in not what we have done, but what Jesus has done. One of the things I've discovered in my years of being a pastor is that there are many people that desire a relationship with God. They just don't know how to start it. They don't know how to begin that relationship. And so this morning, I'm going to guide you through how to do that. And there might be a few people here who've never started that relationship. And I'm going to show you how to do that. And it, it's, it centers around a conversation with God. We call that prayer. Sometimes we make prayer a little bit more mystical than I think it needs to be. And it's really a conversation where we learn to speak to God and we learn to listen to him. And so as we start a relationship with God, it starts with a declaration where we say something along these lines, not these specific words, but something along these lines where we say, I admit that I've fallen short of your glorious standard. I believe that Jesus, you lived out that standard, that you lived it out and you came and you died so that I could have eternal life. And then I believe in that. So I'm going to ask you to come into my life and be my personal Lord and my Savior Starting a relationship with the creator of the universe that lasts for today, for all of your life, and for all of eternity is that simple. And yet incredibly profound. Incredibly profound. And so this morning, if you're in a spot where you would say, you know what, I've never done that. Like, I need that. I need to begin a relationship with God. I'm going to guide you through how to do that just by reading through this prayer again. Again, it's not about saying the right words. It's about the genuine belief in your heart and a declaration that you're making. So you could pray these words and it mean nothing for you. You could pray words that are similar to this and it mean everything for you for all of eternity. So I'm gonna ask all of us to just bow for a moment of prayer. Close our eyes, bow our heads. And Lord, just want to begin by saying, like, I understand, Lord, that there, there could be some folks here today that are just kind of at that spot. They've been measuring their lives for a long time, and maybe they realize, like, it's just always going to fall short. And as they hear about what Jesus has done to step in to fill that gap so that we could be called righteous, that we could have a right relationship with you, there just might be a few people today who'd say, like, I believe that, and I want to receive that. I want to start this new relationship. So, if you're in that spot this morning, I encourage you to just pray 
the words that I'm going to pray or something like it, quietly in your heart to God. Say something like this. God, I admit I've fallen short of your glorious standard. And I believe Jesus came to die so that I can live. And today, I ask you to come into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I commit to follow you the rest of my days. Now, I'm going to ask for all of us to keep our heads bowed and our eyes still closed. And I'd like to ask if you're in that spot where you have prayed that prayer for the first time in your life today, I'm going to ask you to be courageous and just raise your hand highly so I can see it. So I can celebrate that with you. Just hold it up high. I see one over here to my right. Yep, I see two to my right. I see three. I see another one in the middle. Yep, anybody else? Anybody else? Don't want to let anybody out. Leave anybody out. Okay. Thank you. You can put your hands back down. I saw at least three that have done that. So let's um, end that time of prayer. God... When somebody makes that declaration, scripture says, you throw a party in heaven. So there's a party going on right now in heaven because these three folks have said, like, I'm in, I want that, I want a relationship with you. So Lord, I just pray for these folks. I pray that you would grow them in this new relationship. I pray that they would get well-grounded in how to have this rich relationship with you that can last not just their lifetime, but for all of eternity. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen. So um, there were at least three that raised their hand and said, I'm in. I I want that. Would you help me celebrate that this morning? Uh, There should be nothing more exciting to to us as a church family when somebody does that. We had three in the first service. We had three in the second service, and that is phenomenal. So if you have raised your hand, if you've said, like, I'm in, or if you're, like, maybe you've done that and you didn't raise your hand, and what I encourage you to do is I encourage you to sign up for our next baptism. We've got a baptism coming up in November, and uh, we'll be out in the ocean, maybe with a hurricane. I mean, it could be memorable. could be really fun exciting moment. Um, If you just sign up on our website, theepicchurch.com, you can get more information at our Connection Center if you're interested in that. I encourage you to just keep coming. Keep coming week after week and growing your relationship with him. Now, some of you might say, you know what, like I've done that. Like I started a relationship with God. And maybe if you're honest this morning, you say, you know what, my relationship with him is struggling. It's been struggling because either I'm mad at God for some reason or life again has just been so busy. I haven't been able to kind of keep that connection going. So listen to how Jesus kind of wraps up this teaching on enough with his disciples. So in verse 25 of Luke 12, Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Anybody struggle with worry? Anybody besides me? Okay, a few of us. And Jesus says, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. 
They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why, don't you ha- why do you have such little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. And I think Jesus would add for us today, say, don't be concerned about what other people think about you. Don't stay on that treadmill of trying to earn more because you just don't feel like you're enough. Get off that treadmill. Don't worry about those things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. And then in verse 31, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and God will give you everything you need. So how are you doing at that? How are you doing at seeking God and his kingdom above all else? For some of us, uh, we need to learn to use a different measuring stick. We need to like get away from the measuring stick that we use because we just use the wrong one on a regular basis. We need to learn to pick up God's measuring stick and measure our relationship with him, measure our, our lives by that. And that relationship that will last for all of eternity. For others of us, maybe we need to spend less time focusing on what other people think and more time focused on what God thinks. And maybe that means like getting our Bibles out and spending a little bit more time reading God's thoughts captured in print for us. There are so many verses in scripture about what God thinks about us. And we don't have that information because many of us just don't spend the time to read it. So maybe some of us just need to commit, like I gotta spend more time reading or maybe you gotta spend more time talking and listening to God, like this thing called prayer. Some people have a real struggle with the talking part. Like what do I say to God? I'm not so sure. Um, I don't tend to have that problem. I have a problem listening to God. I typically don't have a problem saying stuff. I say way too much. And God often says, could you just zip it for just a minute like there's something I want to tell you and so I got to learn to be still and listen for others of us maybe what we need to do is learn how to serve more you know one of the reasons I love to go on our international mission trips to Guatemala or Ukraine is when I go on these trips like God just like blows my mind, puts everything back into perspective. I get so wound so tight of things I think are important or, or I'm not getting enough of or, or pursuing, and then I go on a trip like that, and I, man, God just kind of puts everything back into perspective, and I often feel like I received way more than I gave when I go on a trip like that. And then I come home, and I'm like, man, where else can I give? Who else can I serve? What else can I do? Because I have so much. I got to learn how to share this with other people. So what might you need to do? Maybe the, the thing that some of us need to learn how to do is to just learn how to say enough. Like enough, like I'm, I'm not running on that treadmill anymore. I'm not measuring my life by what everybody else measures their life by. I'm not doing that anymore. So enough's enough. Maybe when you're at work next and you find yourself caught on that treadmill again, maybe just shout out from your cubicle, enough! And if everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just following up, you know, like the bald pastor at Epic gave me some homework and I'm just practicing. So maybe we got to learn how to say enough. So what I'd like you to do this morning with me is I'd like us to say together our bottom line thought for today. And I think this bottom line thought, if we'll hold on to this, like learn this, memorize this, I think it can help us when we get caught up in that treadmill. Here's our bottom line thought. It's going to come up on the screen. So bottom line thought is this. 
I have enough because God says I am enough. I have enough because God says I am enough. So if we hold on to that, can you imagine how that'll change how we live and what we pursue and what we're trying to reach out for? I have enough because God says I am enough. All right, so let's say this together out loud. And I'd like you to say it with a little bit of passion and it's a little bit lengthy for us to all say together so this might be a little clunky here, but it's all gonna be good, all right? So let's practice together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I have enough because God says I am enough. Way to go. So hold on to that one. And I hope that you'll focus on that, maybe memorize that little statement. Focus on that, on those moments where you just don't feel like you have enough or you are enough. Take a look at this closing music video, and then I'm going to close this out in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, many of us struggle with saying the word enough. It's kind of secretly the core of who we are. We struggle with whether we are enough. Lord, I'm so grateful for the lesson that you've taught us this morning, that Jesus, you reminded us that we are way more valuable to you than anything. Way more valuable. We can step off that treadmill of of never having enough because you say we are enough. I pray that we would live in that reality this week. I pray that as we go throughout the week, as we go throughout this month, Lord, in those moments when we're tempted to step back on that, that treadmill or we're tempted to measure our life by something that you don't use, that we will just pause and say, I have enough because God says I am enough. And Lord, I pray for the six people this morning, our first service, our second service, that have said, I want that relationship, who've started that relationship. Lord, I pray that you would grow them. I pray that they would come back week after week and they would grow their their roots deeply in this relationship that they now have with you that will transform them today and for all of eternity. I pray that we as a church family would be a great resource to them as well. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. And if you uh, go out to lunch, make sure you're not eating out of a bottomless bowl of soup. We'll see you.